Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, and I'm joined again tonight with Seth Dombach. Seth, how's it going? Doing great tonight, Nathan. Thank you. And we are back for a Twin Peaks episode. We uh, The last episode we did was for episode eight, and that one just about broke our brains <laughs> and uh, probably the podcast. And so we've we've now accumulated about we were going to do every two episodes. We did one specifically for eight because I couldn't think of any way to like weave that into the larger thread of <laughs> Twin Peaks. Like it, you, there was just so much there that I felt like we had to talk about it separately. Uh, we're now a bit over the halfway mark because episode nine uh, we have eighteen episodes, and yeah. so it feels strange in some ways to be coming into the the second half of this we've now had more episodes than there are episodes left and uh still still trying to kind of parse out exactly what lynch is doing here i think i'm finally getting a handle on what this show is about but i don't i don't know for certain yeah. uh that being said i am really starting to kind of feel i don't know a lot of this will depend on again on how it wraps up and if it if it wraps up uh I really do hope that Lynch does reach at least a conclusion, a, a conclusion he's happy with at the end of the show. Yeah. I feel like yeah. he has to. I, I really feel like, like, I don't think he would be doing this. But I don't want to see it stretch into a third season, per se. I don't mind a third season if, or I mean, no. I'm saying third season, but I really mean it's a fourth season. I don't really want to see yeah. this third season turn into a fourth season unless he really has somewhere he wants to go with it. If he, If the story. Uh, calls for it if this is kind of his plan and he he's intended to do this i'm all for it but i if given where it's at right now there's a very good chance this really i think is in a way his magnum opus yeah in in lynch world of everything he's done i'm not saying necessarily the best thing he's ever done but i feel like it's that almost there's so much of everything that he's ever done like almost any movie he's ever made there's so much of that sensibility here this is like the magnetic core of like Lynchland. yeah yeah if you ever wanted to give somebody a primer about what david lynch is about like this is the show to show them i agree and i always felt like twin peaks like i love twin peaks but i felt like the original twin peaks while great and really highlighting what's good about Lynch is also almost was almost like that mainstream like you wanted somebody to like Lynch without necessarily seeing Lynch right. for for what he is and so he's kind of we've talked a lot about that already but he's definitely meshing those two worlds so we have three episodes we're going to talk about tonight episodes 9, 10 and 11 which I think is kind of appropriate because at least in my mind they are starting to form uh a, a kind of fuller picture of where he's going with the show. Yeah. And they're definitely different than, in some ways, they're different than any of the episodes that came before. They're certainly very different than episode eight, which yeah. is like an awesome standalone surrealism that almost builds a mythology into the show. Yeah. So now, going forward, the show has been far more 
spiritual. I don't really mean that in an enlightening way, but I mean <laughs> it's it's far more delving into kind of paranormal forces and worlds that are both seen and unseen, and sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. I feel like that's always been an element of Twin Peaks. It certainly bumped up at towards the end of season one and was a significant part of season two, but it was even just hinted at a lot. And now it's almost like the full-blown backdrop and canvas to everything. Yeah. I've also seen, too, the fact that, like, in the earlier episodes, it seemed like it would be a focus more on, like, one specific location. Like, it's, you know, Las Vegas or South Dakota or wherever. And you'd maybe get, like, a really quick scene that would take place in Twin Peaks. I feel like right now, it's like everything's starting to kind of coalesce together. And these worlds are starting to collide because you're starting to see a lot more of Twin Peaks itself, the town of Twin Peaks itself. And that's kind of, and, and less and less of, like, the outside world. It's like they're, they are coming together to, I, I think we're going to all meet in Twin Peaks for, like, the finale of the show. I'm expecting a giant Marvel-style <clears throat> battle where everyone has to pick an adversary and go at it. I want to see the, I told you, I want to see the log lady fight, like, uh, <laughs> fight uh, Dr. Jacoby. He, he with his gold-plated shovel and she with her log, a battle to the death. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. While in the back, like, Big Ed, like, beats to death the remaining, like, uh, Renault brother. <laughs> They bring Leo back, and he's just catatonic in a chair. Yes. Uh, so uh, the approach to this, instead of trying to recap everything that's happened, because honestly, we were sitting here before we began recording just trying to actually exactly reconcile what happened between one episode and the next. And uh, it all sort of bleeds together. But that's sort of the the... The joy of this particular show is yeah. it does when you turn it on you can you're guaranteed that hour or 45 minutes or whatever worth of just real insanity yeah. and it's gonna it's gonna happen it's gonna stop and yet uh there hasn't really been an episode that's let me down in terms of no. providing me with something strange and unusual to see i do feel the last three have been far more coherent yeah. In a lot of ways, have been really more about dealing with some of the mysteries that have always existed in the Twin Peaks show. I'm surprised about how much some of that's happened. So what I kind of thought we can do is sort of go back and forth one another, kind of just asking questions that we can both answer uh, about the episodes. And looking at a couple character arcs, I think it's fair, obviously, to look at the Dougie slash Agent Cooper character and what's going on with him. I think it's very obvious to say that cooper is the central figure that all of this is sort of hinged upon yeah yeah i think that's probably a good place to start with this so you know right now we're we're still (laughs) dougie cooper (laughs) cooper has not fully come back at all yet like and we don't really have any indication that that's going to happen in the next episode or or even you know the next couple of episodes but we are starting to see that there's more there's something more going on underneath the surface with him. Like it, it just in this most recent episode, there was a moment where I thought for sure there was something going to trigger him and bring him back by eating cherry pie just because of a look on his face change. And it actually looked more the way that Cooper would, you know, have an expression on his face in the way that Dougie has kind of this just like wide eyed, like two year old sensibility in it. Um, but it, like we, we were talking too that Cooper 
he seems to be kind of like almost like a good omen for people. Everything good kind of happens around him and he kind of brushes off anything that's bad. And we kind of feel like that maybe speaks to like his personality because that's, that's how Cooper was when he was who he truly, it's really hard to talk about him because he's so many different people at this point. Well, and in, in, in most way, in some ways he is still, he's really just Cooper, you know, agent Cooper, but you're right. He, uh, he, McLaughlin is playing several different characters or has played several different characters at this point. I think that's an interesting thing you bring up because I think since episode 8, for me, 9, 10, and 11 have sort of made me reevaluate, even even to the point of the naming of the show, the fact that this is not called Twin Peaks Season 3 exactly. It's Twin Peaks The Return. Right. And I think at the very beginning when we hear that, the first image it is comes to our minds is this is twin peaks the return this is the return to twin peaks to twin peaks. right and i think that that was probably right from the get-go the wrong way to view the show uh, yeah. i don't think that's what now i don't believe that that's what lynch is getting at i honestly right. be, maybe because we've been so in tune with the way other shows and other stories are told now uh, I really expected Lynch to do what most other people do when they need to get a character back and they want them back is to create some sort of contrivance to get them back into the story, into the manner that we're accustomed to and the way we used to know them, and then we'll have an adventure from there. So right. that's what I thought I was watching, and I was actually, by episode three, I was sitting there thinking, wow, you know, he's doing a lot of strange stuff, but this will all be worth it to have Cooper back in an episode <laughs> or two in the, in the normal way. And now I'm pretty certain that when he calls this Twin Peaks the return, the return he's referencing is the return of Cooper to the real world. Yeah. And I don't think that's a passing reference to say, oh, by the way, that's the most important thing. I think he's telling you that this show is going to be almost solely about this idea of a of a soul or of a being kind of like coming back to something that they used to be after such a long absence away. And in a way yeah. that maybe that's a metaphor for coming back to something like Twin Peaks and having to restart the creative process. But what we're watching is we're literally watching someone almost come out of a coma in a sense, yeah. and it's such a such a glacial pace in a lot of ways that it's strange to wonder why anyone would want to put you through this. It's it's so it's so funny that you should say that too because like I, I was just thinking about that earlier today, the fact that you know any other show would have he would have been back to normal at this point. You know they they would have maybe I, they'd probably push out maybe one episode where. You know, he was completely a different person and then something would trigger him and then that would be like the the teaser at the end of the episode. And and this is something completely different because we've seen him as this Dougie for, you know, multiple episodes now and there's no indication that it's going to change at any time soon. And... And but I, I like this character. It's it's not like I'm just like oh I need to see Coop back. I need to see him back right now. Like there there's like there is a purpose to this journey that we're going on. And and even if we don't get to see him like that until the last episode, if we do at all, you know it's it's gonna make it that much worth it more worth it because you know we've gone through this whole progression with him throughout this series as as this character and see and to see that would you know make a bigger impact at that point. Yeah, and I think if we, I think we can let's start there with like uh, with the Dougie Cooper angle and talk about what's happened in these three episodes. 
I think even more than that, I again, it's that kind of flipping the switch of the expectations is to keep talking, and we have talked, and even now we're still talking, waiting until Cooper is back, but that's right. probably the wrong perspective because Cooper is back. He's yeah. been back ever since the moment where his body came out of the lodge, a spirit or whatever, and took over the space where Dougie Jones had been. And then Dougie yeah. went to the lodge and was seemingly destroyed. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still in there or not, but it certainly seems like he may not be. And, and I don't know that it really matters if Dougie was a construct the way it was implied. But we, what Coop is back. He does. He's been deeply affected and 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 damaged or dislodged. I think by what, no pun intended, by what happened to him there. And that's kind of what we're watching. We're kind of watching a broken person. Yeah. Uh, but you know, someone who suffered a stroke or something, and we're not. You know, and and people do wait. Well, we're waiting for them to come back. But in reality, they're here now. And I think right. that this this long process that lynch is going through is really trying to show us that hey this is who cooper is i mean we what we saw when we saw cooper before was we saw the fbi man we saw him as a man of integrity and a good-natured guy and he had a certain kind of innocence to him we saw that up front but we never really knew a lot about him what his personal life was like we got hints at it and things like that and in some ways, I wonder if we're not recalibrating, if he's brought it back to, he's put Cooper in a place where where mentally he doesn't seem right with everybody else and what's going on. But you see him slowing down and sort of enjoying all of these like simple things of life in a way that you know he did in the old show but not quite to this degree you know like yeah it's everything slowed down for him so we get to savor those moments where he has his cup of coffee he has yeah. his first slice of pie he has uh his his first uh <laughs> romantic first taste of naomi watts <laughs> uh, his romantic interlude which these scenes i really like these scenes for like the, sim- yeah. the simplicity with which they're displayed i mean that scene with watts could have been handled in a lot of ways but <laughs> the romantic scene between he and Janie where she realizes she's suddenly at the doctors and realizing, well, hey, he's a lot more buff than I remember him. <laughs> and just her, the way she's leering at him is such a strange, such a strange scene because we again have what you had mentioned earlier where no one seems to quite, everybody is so tuned in to keeping life going as it always has that no one yeah. seems to really realize how deeply off Dougie is. And it's, yeah. Lynch keeps playing that all the way through. I mean, he's really becoming like a Forrest Gump-like character in some <laughs> yeah. ways. I, and I, I don't know that Lynch is making that comparison because he likes Forrest Gump. It may quite be the opposite. I was, I was personally never a fan of Forrest Gump. I always thought yeah. it was so kind of weirdly, like, <laughs> strange to me. Yeah, pandering is a good way, you know, like to almost suggest if you go through the world with your like. <laughs> IQ turned all the way down, and, and this is not to mock people, you know, who have disabilities. Right. But it seemed to it seemed to point out that somehow in his naivete there was something great and deep to be grasped. And I don't, yeah. you know, I'm not sure I quite agree with that. <laughs> and so I don't think that's what Lynch is getting at. But it, it does sometimes mirror that in some ways, because like you said, it he's almost been reduced to his basic core, right? In that he still responds to this sort of deep. Uh, 
sense of duty that I don't know that it's patriotism, but it's sparked by him when he sees things like the flag yeah. and things like that and these elements that are kind of deep-seated in him. And so he's always still doing the right thing. And part of that is the Lodge guiding him. But yeah. we see him in Episode 9 is coming off of uh, – 8, of course, took a reprieve from anything remotely resembling reality. But in Episode 7 – Right before that, there was the episode where he disarmed Ike the Spike. Yeah. He knocks the weapon out of his hand. And then he's on the news. And that's also the moment where I wonder, well, how far is this going to go? Because now we realize that he's out there and people could find him. Yeah. And Lynch does pay that off, too, uh, yeah. within these three episodes. Because now uh, you have three uh, detectives who come to him because of his car being blown up. And these characters, I'm not a big fan of these characters. Uh, you know, David Koechner character and Larry Clark. I mean, they're they're amusing for a few moments, but they're not they're not doing a whole lot for me right now. No. They, they're usually like they're that Lynch window dressing where there's always a couple <laughs> characters you can take or leave. Yeah. I feel like they should just be over in Lost Highway somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I just didn't. Uh, they're not really clicking with me. But there is an interesting kind of long scene where. They are there in kind of questioning him at work, and you see Dougie and Janie there. And his boss is an interesting character. Yeah. I feel like he's been developing, that the character's been developing in a strange way because he seems very protective of Dougie. But then in the most recent episode, you're not even sure. Like, he, see, he seems to be one of the few people that might be aware that Dougie's just not quite, quite at all got it all together. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he, he reminds me of a, a character you'd see in a Coen Brothers movie. Yes, he kind of, yeah, exactly. A Coen Brothers movie or like a, a, a Spike Jones movie. Like he almost yeah. reminds me a little bit of the boss and like being John Malkovich who, who right. didn't think anyone could understand <laughs> anything he ever said. Uh, yeah, kind of a character. He seems um, seems beneficent, but you're not really entirely certain. You know, he seems like he's on your side. But you're just waiting for the moment when he's not. Although he seems he seems sincere, and he's he's a bo- he, at least he's got that boxing persona. I think he <laughs> yeah. used to be a boxer, and uh, I I like his character, and I like what they're doing, and I like that the work element has become uh, a more significant part of this. Yeah, definitely. but you you've got those scenes where Dougie is still just kind of like struggling, and most people just don't seem to care that much. They just kind of want to move beyond it. <laughs> What do you think about the Janie-Dougie relationship? See, I, I agree with you, too. Like, we we'd mentioned before, like, I, I feel like he's spending so much time with these characters. Like, I don't think that they're going to killed off or anything like that. I, I feel like this is going to be the progression of where Cooper's life is going to go. Because, like, Janie and uh, Dougie had problems before because he was, you know, seeing prostitutes. He wasn't really a good person, per se. And, like, now, like, she's seeing him, you know, like, even if it's just a physical thing, she's seeing that. She's seeing, like, okay, he's taking care of, of these things, even even if it's not really by his specific choice to do it, it just kind of happens. But, but he seems happy. Uh, Cooper seems to have a connection with Sonny Jim. And and I feel like I feel like they're they're growing together kind of as a family almost, and I feel like that's kind of where it's headed. Even if it's not going to be you know the return of like Cooper's going to be part of the FBI again or something like that. It's I feel like it's going to be you know he's going to kind of just grow or go off just with these 
these this new family and make that a part of his life from this point. I, I like these characters a lot. I like that this is a part of this story. Um, and I really, really enjoy Naomi Watts' performance as Janie in, in the show. Yeah, she's really good, and I'm glad to see her there. I like she's so good. I keep I keep thinking, but I keep resisting to like turn on that show Gypsy on Netflix. <laughs> we just finished it. It's actually pretty decent. Is it? Because it, yeah. it had that like I couldn't tell if it was more like it had the feel of like a, of a like eighty Steven Soderbergh movie, or it had the <laughs> yeah. feel of a 1990s Lifetime movie, and I couldn't quite figure which one it was. So a I was little very, bit of both. <laughs> is it a little bit of both? Yes. Yeah, so I was like I she. She's um, she's back in my like uh, you know esteem right now, so I didn't want to ruin that. <laughs> she elevates most of the stuff that she's in, so that's pretty much that's always true. But I mean, it, it sometimes that's still a like. <laughs> what was this movie recently? Um, a shut in. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh god. <laughs> You gotta I didn't really see that one, sometime. but I've heard only awful things about it. Chris, Chris told me a little bit about it. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good, um, but. Yeah, something that's interesting, I think, to think about, particularly in this season more than the others, we've really got this picture of how the forces in the Lodge sort of interact with people. And they almost have a feeling, the way he's developed them, they have a feeling of almost like Greek gods and goddesses to to them. You know, there's a little bit of Judeo-Christian, like, demons and angels there but there's also this feeling that they're sort of playing with the world of mortal men you know yeah yeah. and i think that that element is kind of coming through so what i think is interesting about this dougie and janie situation is we know that doug dougie jones seems to have been created as a construct that's sort of even borne out more in episode nine, where they recognize that he didn't even seem to exist prior to 1997. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we kind of wonder under what circumstances did he meet Janie? Was he always, and you see him as a sort of a hollow guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting to compare that the first time we see Dougie, he's just unsettled and not really um, of himself. And he's there with a prostitute. He's clearly trying to seek some kind of like, uh, you know, he's trying to have some kind of emotion or feeling. Right. And he, he's clearly not getting it. Then we see kind of Coop, he comes into the situation. And, like, we talk about that scene uh, with Janie when she kind of come, comes on to him. And he's he's sitting there trying to innocently <laughs> eat his cake. His yeah. <laughs> and then he, she, she saw, you see his arms kind of flying up and down on the side. But, he smi- you know, when he smiles, it's the first time you're really seeing Cooper in a moment of, like, He's really, really happy, and it's interesting to see that kind of contrasted with, you know, he he's starting to seem like he feels at home, and that's something that the yeah. Dougie Jones character never seemed. We know that, or it seems to be implied that the Dark Coop created Dougie as a construct as a way to prevent himself from having to go back to the Lodge. Right. But you start to wonder if maybe the forces in the Lodge, whether the Mike or other forces, have maybe allowed this to happen because... Uh, you know that the dark coop is trying to use this for his own evil gain, but in but in reality, maybe this is an entire this setup is really going to be used to provide Cooper with some sort of comfort that he can come back to, some sort of baseline, yeah, that he that, that will support him because I think it's clear that like Janie and Sonny Jim, they're part of his therapy and bringing him back to life. Yeah, definitely. And it's almost as if they prepared this place for him. Hey, this will be here when you get here. And they're perfectly set up to embrace him, you know. 
both Janie and Sonny Jim are at a place where it doesn't really matter to them that Coop's not talking that much or that he isn't expressing himself in every single way. And it just it's an interesting thought, I think, to think that this guy's been in the lodge for 20 20 some years and for him to come back out of that and have his life completely broken it seems like well maybe somebody out there is looking out for him and maybe the intention you know it's also strange to think that Janie married to a doppelganger that wasn't really a person (laughs) and for how long did that happen and you make you make you know there's a sadness to that but maybe this is what it was always meant to be yeah Um, not to get too much into like the fatalism or or into the the elements being predestined but certainly that's something lynch is playing with now i think more than he ever has and i think that's a possibility that maybe this is being set up as coop's ultimate destination maybe this isn't a thing where he goes back to twin peaks reconnects with audrey and all these things happen that we kind of expect to happen maybe some of this is is uh coop's ultimate destiny yeah yeah definitely that's that's I think I think that's I think that's true of what we're seeing, and I think that's where we're kind where we're going with this show as well too. Uh, with with that said, like um, for some of the other storylines that we're seeing here too, what else do you what else are you finding pretty interesting? I, I'm I'm finding some interesting stuff with the Richard Horn character. Gosh, I can't stand him though. I know there are he's so a... hateable. <laughs> hateable is a good word. He I will say he's more interesting to me than the uh, character that Caleb Landry Jones, excuse me, the character that Caleb Landry Jones is playing right now. Uh, I can't even think of his name. I can't either. Um, I probably don't need to. It's the (laughs) character that Shelley's daughter, the uh, Amanda Seyfried character, it's her husband. And he is, he to me is a completely expendable character. I don't like him at all. Richard Horn is... He is an intriguing character, I think, but he's a character you just really don't like at all. I don't think we're yeah. supposed to like him. And in fact, I'm. It, it's only been reinforced through these last three episodes that I think we're supposed to believe that he really is the like progeny of Dark Coop and Audrey Horn. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple things that happen, and I, it, we might as well talk about that character because he does some despicable things. He's already done some despicable things. He ran a young child over with a car. Uh, a few episodes before this and in an effort to cover it up he's now tried to murder a woman he there is a scene in i believe it's episode 10 where he comes into the the home of uh what is um what's audrey's mother's name uh sylvia sylvia yeah he comes into sylvia's home and he is that whole scene is very disturbing uh, it's, because it's, it's super disturbing. And we, we back up just a little bit because in the episode before that, we see someone run down the stairs and basically try to shoot themselves in the head. <laughs> yes. uh, and someone screams, no, Johnny. And it, when that happened, it was, I remember I was like, Oh wait, you know, Johnny is Audrey's like disabled brother. Yeah. Uh, and, we, we, you know, we're not quite sure what drove him to shoot himself, but he's. We find out he's not dead, and we can talk about that scene in a minute because I think it's super disturbing. But it does just reinforce that Richard Horn, as a character, is really only out for himself. He doesn't seem to have any redeemable elements whatsoever. Um, if he's got some sort of 
analog to to other characters. I mean, he's like the I, I don't know. Is he the Modred to to Coop's <laughs> Arthur? I don't know who he is, yeah. but he's a pretty terrible human being. Um, if in fact he's a human being, but he uh, and, and but it's interesting too because as horrible as he is. It, Lynch likes to underline this a lot. He's not very good at being evil. No, he's incident. He's he creates a lot of destruction because of how incidental he's. But he's a petty, sort of useless character, and almost everything he tries to do, he fails at. And you just feel that it's just a little while before someone like Red, who's the Balthazar Getty character, it's taking me like five episodes to figure out who the heck this guy is. And I just know his name now. I don't really know who he is. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that he's he's he seems to be hooked up with Shelley. But yeah. this character I don't think he's headed for a good end I don't think he's going to be a real uh, adversary for anyone he just seems to be a sort of reckless indulgent person who's incidentally evil I mean yeah. he's definitely evil but he's that he is that way because he's so facile and so self-absorbed and so feckless and that's true. The Caleb Landry Jones character is like that too. He's he's a little more useless, a little more ineffective, so therefore maybe not quite as evil. But uh, that seems to be a theme, and I'm not so sure that if you don't look at Dark Coop, you've got almost the same thing on a slightly bigger level. He he kind of has more swagger, but there's a certain level where these forces of darkness are kind of mundane and uninspiring in some yeah. ways. What what I was shocked about is, and we could talk about that scene here um, too, is just how, because you know, like Lynch is, Lynch always kind of peppers a lot of his stuff with some extreme violence, and, and often towards episode, women, often towards women, yes. <laughs> and uh, we talked about like with with episode ten especially, like that. I think that's one of the most violent episodes in terms of just what is happening to characters in it it's it's not even that graphic of violence it's just um you know there's the woman at the beginning that he you know almost murdered or he thinks he kills is it marge or yeah i think so or miriam miriam thank you um, um and then what happens the person who witnessed Sylvia. him run the kid down Right, yeah, he he goes into her trailer. You don't even see any of it. You just hear it off screen, and he, you know, beats her to where she's bleeding out of her head, and you know, puts the gas stove on, and you know, near a, a candle, hoping the the trailer she's in is going to explode. And then, you know, not not that much later, you know, he accosts his grandmother in her home, stealing all the money that she has in her safe, and you know, taking everything from her while just that that whole scene it's just insane as it is but and the very first time we see him he's like choking some girls out and threatening to to hurt yes. them if they don't do what he wants and he just sort of runs roughshod over everything in that same episode there's Caleb Landry Jones character kind of threatening Amanda Seyfried too if you remember yeah. that yeah and so it's like wow we got three scenes in in one episode <laughs> way to go uh and again, I, I'm not. I'm, it might be even interesting some point to discuss that. I'm not sure what Lynch is getting at with all of this. I do. It does seem to be that women are victims more often than not in his world, as opposed to men. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that what statement he's trying to make. I mean, I'm sure that there there is something there. It's probably worth exploring. I don't think that it's um, some kind of uh, 
lizard brain misogyny or something that he's just dredging up or some kind of weird fascination with seeing women abused. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's a nightmare theme that kind of keeps coming up in his work and he sees some vulnerabilities there, I think. I think part of, I think I think part of it is the fact that like this violence is occurring towards women and, and most of the time it's going completely unseen by other people. And the, in that same episode, in episode ten, there is a scene where um, uh, the two guys, uh, the guy from Prison Break and Jim Belushi, um, are that he gets hit in the face by like one of these triplet girls or named Candy, who you know she accidentally swats him in the face with a remote controller, and you see her, you know, time passes throughout the day, and she's still crying over hitting him. So you know, I think it's he's kind of like making a statement of like we're only we only really see you know this violence when it happens between men or it's only given kind of kind of a credence whereas when the violence happens towards women you know it's happening behind closed doors or nothing's really being done about it and it's just kind of inconsequential to to everybody around it whereas you know a woman hurts this man and it's an all-day affair you know that she has to apologize for yeah though to be fair candy's a weird character i don't know what they're doing with her like just the fact that she does this, it seems to be off-putting even to the guy who's who she's hurt. He's just sort of right. like, please stop. Yep. Um, I'm okay. Yes. These and mean, but his face is like clearly mangled. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, did, I do. I'd like to talk about those characters. Man, I do like yeah. them. Uh, I think they're doing interesting things with them. So that's yeah. Richard Horn to me, I, I could take or leave him. I'd rather, I'd rather see him come to some awful end. Honestly, yeah. I'm sure he has a purpose. I'm not sure what that purpose is yet. And now what we're seeing in these last three episodes is sort of purpose has come to light. Uh, yeah. The two characters I've been most interested in of the original cast uh, in terms of them, of what Lynch has been doing with them is actually one is uh, Bobby because I honestly didn't imagine that they were going to do a whole lot with Bobby Briggs. I didn't think so either. Um, I know Dane Ashbrook has kind of tried to stay in the in the limelight with Peaks and everything, and he did a funny episode of the TV show Psych <laughs> called uh, uh, Twin Dual Spires. <laughs> that was they go visit a town where almost all the actors from Twin Peaks are back and sort of playing various characters, That's and, great. and one of them is and and. Uh, Dana Ashbrook has a pretty big role there. He's he he kind of uh, plays up his melodrama, and he's doing that a little bit in this show too. But at the same time, the the Briggs character—it's not just Bobby, but also his father. Now I say that—that's a weird thing to say that, that that like Harlan Briggs is one of the most interesting characters of the new Twin Peaks <laughs> since Don Davis has been dead since I think two thousand eight, yeah. uh, and is no way it, we saw his disembodied head at one point. <laughs> And we've seen his his bloated forty year old body <laughs> with a woman's head attached to it, but all of which is disturbing, by the way. Uh, but they've done a lot with his character. I mean, it sounds weird to say, but Harlan Briggs seems to play is playing a relatively large role in this new show, <laughs> uh, much more than I thought he would. Considering, in fact, that was one of the things I was disappointed by is knowing that Don Davis was gone and always feeling that Briggs's character had some of the most interesting stuff happening to him at the end of season two. I mean, that's where a lot of the paranormal elements were really playing out. But what they've done is they've managed to make him almost front and center in a certain way. He's becoming an almost mythical kind of character. And, of course, Laura Palmer is coming back into the story. I mean, the return may just as well be referring to Laura Palmer 
coming back into the world as it is referring to Cooper at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a couple things about Bobby is I, I feel like they've handled his scenes very well. They've done an interesting job of showing what seems to be a legitimate change in his person. Yes. You yeah. believe him as a guy who's trying to do the right thing and be a different person than who they were. And I feel like he, Lynch does seem to be setting him up to maybe be a major kind of player in what's coming. Yeah. Uh, and they do a really awesome job in episode nine that is titled, I think, This is the Chair or something, where he goes yeah. back and he sees his mom and he comes with the rest of the sheriff's department. And I love that, that we're finally into like some actual detective work on their part. Yeah. They're trying yeah. to track down what's happening with Coop. And when they come back, it's clear that her husband, that his father had a premonition that this would happen. And she never said anything about it because at the time she never, you know, it seemed so absurd to say that this these men will come from the police department and it will be, you know, it'll be Truman, but a different Truman. And it will be Hawk and it will be Bobby, you know. <laughs> why? At that point in time, she even makes a reference, but you seem to be on such a different path. Yeah. <laughs> so when it, it, when his premonition comes true, it seems to be all the more uh, not just poignant, but all the more legitimate or authentic because of the circumstances. And but it also you have a moment there where Bobby recognizes that his dad did know he was going to be okay, you know. And I thought that was legitimately kind of touching, you know. Yeah, I not so not too. like just fake melodrama. <laughs> the moment where he realizes he knows how to un to open the small vial that has the has sort of the coordinates yeah, or whatever like on that it that's lot. hidden inside the chair. I don't know why I don't know why these things, why these supernatural elements always have to be so complicated. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like there's ever a good chance of evil forces getting a hold of them. It just makes the good guys have to work a lot harder to get them. <laughs> it just seems like everything they had to go through prying open a bathroom door but that's still not it you know everything that they've had to do to get this information is they've had to work really hard (laughs) to get it but i I do like what they're doing with bobby and i in the in the most recent episode they've got a scene where he is at the diner with shelly and with their daughter who we've now been confirmed i don't think they're together anymore but they were married at one point yeah and the this is their daughter and it's a very realistic and it's a very kind of uh, compelling scene i think it it it's very interesting in what it shows it's got some lynch weirdness in it of course but i like a lot what they're doing with that character and it does surprise me that i'm finding that as interesting as it is yeah because you know kind of bobby kind of got on my nerves sometimes throughout the original run of the series um he's by it, far one of the most like in a in a show that was nothing but soap opera elements he was one of the worst yeah well even the first time that you really see him in the return is when he's like looking he sees a picture of laura palmer and you know and he's just <laughs> and they definitely playing it up weeping I mean, over soaring yeah. <laughs> but like yeah there's it's it's interesting to see you know this turn of character with him and like him actually like taking responsibilities and and things like that and I, and i'm interested to see I, I do think we're going to see a lot more of him throughout the rest of the series too i, I don't think this is just i don't think we're going to just drop off with this character we're going to f- kind of follow through with him too yeah, and I think the fact that he is tied to Harlan, and uh, and let's talk about that for a minute. What do you think about that element? Because I think the Harlan Briggs story, who's really brought into this, the, this is really becomes a showcase for Gordon Cole, who's obviously played by David yeah. Lynch, and for Albert, and for Tammy, and for um, Diane, Diane, who is, is the Laura Dern character, who is 
Coop's longtime secretary, who seems to maybe be a double agent here, who might be yeah. playing the sides. I'm not entirely certain. She definitely is in in uh, communication with Evil Cooper. Seems you to know, be. It just made me think. It's so funny. Like uh, everything I, I see, so many people talking about. Like, right, and we've even said it too. Like, oh, hey, Lynch is giving us like a ten minute sequence of somebody sweeping the floor, and yet, like, when we really get down to it, there's so much happening in each one of these episodes. It's, it's such a. There's there's nothing else like this show. No, no, there really isn't. Uh, so. With with the Briggs thing, I mean, we even have Matthew Lillard in episode 10 or episode 9. Uh, he's talking. We realize that he actually publishes blogs, and the, these blogs are about, uh, like, other dimensions and alternate worlds <laughs> and conspiracy theories and X-Files kind of stuff. And that at the center of all this, uh, he and uh, Ruth Davenport were trying to get in contact with, like, Harlan Briggs. <laughs> Yeah. Who is almost like this uh, strange guru-like figure to them, sort of, you know, this like kind of like legend, you know, almost uh, mythical. And they they see him ascend at one point, and the whole scene is very strange. Lillard starts yeah. breaking down. At one point, he's almost – I was watching this and thinking he almost seems like shaggy. Like he gets back <laughs> yes. into where he's almost hyperbolic. He's like, and then I, I just – I didn't know what to do. And then he starts talking about how they were supposed to go on vacation, and he says the word scuba. And he says – he's like, and then scuba? And I'm like – Lynch definitely did that on purpose. <laughs> like he just had to throw in a like Scooby Doo reference for you there. I think the things he's doing stuff. I didn't, like he's probably going to deny it later, but there's no way that you have Lynch. You don't have Lillard sitting there hyperventilating and saying, <laughs> "Yeah, Scuba," and it's not. It's not a Scooby Doo reference. <laughs> he says it like three times. What's well, too and and what's funny about like the Harlan Briggs stuff is. You know, a lot of this is tying together because there's that scene in the second season where he's meeting with Coop when they get that communication and shows, you know, it's, you know, the owls are not what they seem and saying, you know, Cooper's name. And now, like, when, when he pulls that um, message out of that thing that they pull from the chair, it's got Cooper's name on it twice, along with, I think, it's coordinates on that as well, too. Um, so it, Lillard mentions the last thing he says is Cooper. As yeah, that's ascends. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so it's 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 really cool to see some of these storylines tying together, and, and I, I'm glad that you brought up like Cole too. Like I I really it was kind of, it was it was always funny to me when you first saw Lynch appear in Twin Peaks, you know, and, and I really like the fact that he's kind of given himself this really large platform in the show because I actually love his character. I think he's great in the show. It's interesting because he was so. So much of what he was in the in the season two when he finally showed up was this kind of humorous figure for people to play off of and the, the gist of him talking so loud. But now they're giving him a real story and that, that element of him talking loud is almost faded into the background. Yeah. Like it's quirky, but I don't notice it that much anymore. No. Like it doesn't distract when scenes get weird and he's had some of the weirdest sequences lately. He's becoming <laughs> yeah. a real force in the show. Uh, he he seems to have known all along a little bit more than we maybe thought he did. I don't feel that he's hiding it, but, you know, I just don't think we knew how much Cole was aware of some of the more really strange things going on. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, 
at the, this season when we know that he meets up with Dark Cooper, it's like, well, how much is it going to take to convince Cole that this is a doppelganger? But it seems like maybe not much because there's this scene in episode 11 where he and Albert go to this place that Lillard's character is talking about and Lillard's with them in the car and they see some of the strange uh, intergalactic space hobos <laughs> and, and, and Cole says he looked like a dirty bum or something <laughs> yeah. like that. He kind of characterizes it as like dirty bums. Dirty bearded men. Dirty bearded men, that's what he says. And I think to be fair, like maybe these aren't hobos but they, they're, 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 they call them the woodsmen. They look like... Uh, strange like ghostly lumberjacks yeah and i wonder if we're not going to learn that one of them is maybe uh catherine colson the the uh log lady remember her husband was a lumberjack who disappeared i wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to to be one of them that's why her log has something to say about that maybe it's very strange well yeah you wonder about that so maybe one of them is trapped inside maybe the last scene of the show will be the log splitting open and just one of those hobos wandering off into the sunset (laughs) um (laughs) And two, I think, like, the the fact that, like, Cole is, like, he's so nonchalant when it comes to, like, anything happening. Like, it just, like, there's a part in that scene where, like, the, the sky starts to spiral. The portal from Donnie Darko. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, have you ever seen a portal or whatever it was in Donnie Darko? That line came to mind. <laughs> I was waiting to, yeah, to wait for him to turn around and see that Frank the Bunny with his, like, hand on his shoulder. <laughs> talk about a crossover that would be why not at this point <laughs> lynch will probably have a dude in a rabbit suit sometime before the show ends. as long as richard kelly doesn't take over for directing I'm i don't think we that. have to worry about that i don't think they let <laughs> kelly direct traffic anymore um but the yeah he the vortex opens up and he like walks towards it which i thought's very interesting and he puts his hands up like he's trying to signal something in the vortex, and then he disappears for a minute, and and Albert nonchalantly sticks his hand down and just pulls him right back out of it. He's like, hey there, whoa, where are you going? And and again, and I've said this before, but like, Miguel Ferrari, the character's so great. Like, Oh, yeah. Albert's a great character. It, again, it, it does underline that like bittersweetness of like, man, it's a shame yeah. that uh, we won't see, that we can't really see any more of him. Uh, I don't know how much they've, 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 they've got a lot. I mean, they have yeah. a lot more footage than I was kind of expecting, but I think it had wrapped up by the time he passed. But there's an interesting scene. So there's a scene where he's having dinner. <laughs> he seems to be on a date or something, and Cole and, like, Tammy are just watching him from, like, around the corner. <laughs> now, is that the coroner he's – who is he he's having yeah. dinner with? Yeah, yeah that's I, the coroner. I thought that was a really sweet little scene. I, I liked the inclusion of it. Which is funny because they're both like pretty brash people. <laughs> Which is what I yeah I mean job. I would I'd probably actually watch a like my dinner with Andre my dinner <laughs> yes. with like uh... <laughs> my dinner uh, with Albert yeah my dinner with Albert I probably watch that just the two of them having a conversation and no, and this is Lynch so you know he has forty five minutes of footage of those two having dinner together yes. <laughs> <laughs> while they're served by dirty bearded men. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> bring up trays with with creepy little chickens like the ones with a racer head on it um but it that whole scene is so strange and, and where they are encountering the vortex where there's clearly a lot of strange activities going on so we now know that you know major briggs is tied to this supernatural element in some way there is something cosmic and strange going on cole's aware of it albert seems to be aware of it and then one of these creepy little hobos sneaks up to the car while diane is watching and doesn't seem to be that 
uh, amazed by it. You know, she's like, oh, look at that. And he walks up to the car. This is a point where my wife again sort of wakes up and sees what I'm actually watching and is just befuddled by it. And then it's like, oh, there's Matthew Lillard. And then we hear a crunching sound. And the top part of Matthew Lillard's head from about his bottom jaw up is gone. It's just mutilated. And people are screaming. And what does what does Diane say? Oh, you can backup's not going to help, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then Cole has the best line, where it's just like he's dead. He stands there next to the door. We see the blow, the the like mutilated head, and it's kind of horrifying. But then there's just that wide shot, and Cole just goes, "He's dead." <laughs> and then that would be the point if this was on network television. That would cut to commercial. <laughs> At which point I laughed my ass off. It was that was a good that was a good scene. Um, but it, it this is again the kind of beauty of Lynch mixing the horror and the strangeness, and we have a lot of strange otherworldly things that we don't completely understand. So yeah. to that end, I mean, I like what they're doing with it. I I've got to say a couple other uh, elements regarding uh, Cole and what's going on is the way these scenes are assembled are great. Like, we could sit here and talk about scenes in every single episode. Uh, yeah. Shortly after the whole head-blowing-up thing, we see everyone gather back at the police station. Yeah, I really like that. And, and what too. does Cole say? Uh, this is a policeman's dream or something like that when <laughs> yeah. Tammy walks up like with, like, a plate of coffee. coffee and donuts. And he just stares. He's, like, he's looking at all... He's, like, leering at all three things at once. He's, like, leering at her, the donuts, and the coffee. He's, like, a policeman's dream. And it's such a weird... This is a weird moment. But there's also this strangeness with Diane where she seems to be kind of, like, the way he's got her juxtaposed, she's just to the left of everybody else. Yeah. And yeah, she's, she's got to be different. above. She's very lofty, and she's she's insisted upon smoking in this police station. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's she's always very defiant about that. I like that they've got this ongoing thing now, where where any time Albert looks at her, he just goes, "Yeah, I know, f you, Albert." <laughs> yeah. It doesn't it doesn't matter what it is that he says; he just stops, and he's on to her. I think he knows things are going on, and Tammy seems to be Tammy's like just one like one like flippant remark from having a cat fight with her. I, I think. <laughs> I feel like that's going to come to a head at some point. And then Lynch will just be sitting in the background with like popcorn, watching, <laughs> sipping a cup of coffee, watching intently with binoculars, like bird watching. I, I think, um, because there's probably like a few WTF moments we, we could call yeah, out. There, this is um, what we should, is what for you would have been these past three episodes because we have no time to go through the whole show <laughs> the the craziest most insane moments because Lynch is known for that your top two from these past two episodes past three episodes so my my first one would be <laughs> the bear that shows up when uh, Richard <laughs> Horn <laughs> goes to see his grandma to steal money from her. This thing is so terrifying looking. It's it, it looks like a teddy bear, but it has like the head of like a fishbowl with like eyes drawn on it and like some kind of plate of like maggots or something for a mouth. <laughs> it's so hard for my brain to like look at this creature. Like it just it kind of hurts my mind. And it lights up inside. It. it does. It looks kind of like um like a gumball, the outside of like a gumball machine. If you filled a gumball machine with like owl pellets. Yes. It's like and but it still has eyes and it lights up and it speaks. And the so explain the context. Explain why the bear is there, what it's seemingly for. 
it seems like it's something there to like communicate with uh with johnny horn like because <laughs> the mother has him like tied to a chair at the, in the scene and the the bears to presumably much, prevent him from hurting himself from, from hurting her. himself yeah. yeah yeah um and i guess it's something that like to help him like communicate with other people but it just says the same phrase over and over and over again <laughs> throughout the entire scene which is uh what is it um hello johnny how are you today hello johnny how are you today and uh which doesn't my... sound sinister but if you see this bear it's like a different thing completely well it repeats it over and over again and it also repeats it for the duration of this whole scene so <laughs> while johnny gets like knocked to the ground and richard horn is like choking out his grandma in the background soundtrack all you hear is hello johnny how are you today hello johnny and it is it is very disturbing um that being but, uh, my son's name my my wife does appreciate the fact that sometimes now i come out in the morning and will say hello johnny how are you today before breakfast you just kind of had to do that though yes, yeah but this thing is creepy it is it's one of lynch's weirdest concoctions and uh i'd say other than that the the biggest wtf scene for me was in this, the most recent episode because it comes out of completely nowhere it's it's after the scene where um bobby and shelly meet at the diner um you see you hear a gunshot and you think okay somebody you know is this connected to it and you find out oh no outside they go outside and it's a, a kid who got a hold of a gun but while bobby is talking to these people this horn is just blaring like this person will not stop honking the horn and finally and can i stop because oh, that, yeah, go ahead. that's such a weird scene it's going to derail everything else <laughs> uh, two comments briefly in the bear they've managed to actually i'm like a connoisseur of like creepy teddy bears in movies <laughs> you had that little teddy bear from the movie the pit i think oh, that's yes. my all-time creepiest bear it used to be and the bear from ai was pretty creepy too Teddy, yeah, Teddy this thing's worse than both of them like <laughs> yeah. hands down you sent me a picture recently where someone had like photoshopped it into like the shining yeah. and it seems to fit in perfectly <laughs> but you mentioned where he goes outside and there's a shot and and i was really worried we're gonna see another kid get hurt yeah there's a little boy standing out there and he's apparently fired a gun off that was laying around <laughs> in his like parents hand. and <laughs> I feel like Lynch just slips this in as one of my favorite scenes in the episode. And an episode was full of great stuff. But there's yeah. this juxtaposition where Bobby looks over and he sees the dad who's like in camo or something <laughs> with his hands in his pockets looking nonchalant like, yeah, whatever. Let's get this over with. And he looks back at the kid and the kid is in the exact same pose, the exact <laughs> yeah. same look of apathy on his face. And it's almost like Bobby doesn't have to ask any more questions. Like he completely <laughs> understands how all of this has happened and come about just by by glancing down. And it, I mean, there's a commentary there. I'll leave it for everyone to figure out if you can. Uh, but it, it was good. And then you could pick back up at the horn blaring. So so after this this takes place, he, he he goes back to the car that's blaring the horn, and and you see this older woman in there, and she's like, "We have to get home," and she's like really indignant. She's sick. We need to get home. We're already late. We need to get to dinner. And I'm just saying they're like thinking like, "Okay, this is this is strange, but this is Lynch, so yeah, I'm I'm expecting something kind of strange like this." And then out of completely nowhere, you see this young girl kind of prop up like flail up from 
from the, the passenger side car seat and she's like vomiting up this green stuff like all over herself all over this woman and i mean it, it is literally it's not explained whatsoever it looks like it's either out of a possession movie or a right. zombie movie <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like, and she's way down in the you. seat like you can't even see her and she starts like coming up and i'm like it was giving me a bad, creepy, like, audition feel or something there for a moment. Like, she's just, like, staggering up out of the hole under the seat. It was very disturbing. Yeah, yeah. It's it just so jarring. You know, there was, uh, there was just something about it that just completely took me off guard. Like, I was not prepared to see that. And you and... get another one of great Dana Ashbrook just staring at, <laughs> at <laughs> something horrible. <laughs> he just wanted to have a nice dinner at the diner. He's just found out that Red's making out with his woman, and yeah. Uh, but I, you know, that scene just ends. Yeah. Like there's no other reference to it, and I think that you've you've basically definitely detailed two of the most disturbing. I think probably the weirdest, like as you you mentioned, like the WTF moments. Um, although there's there are a couple others, like to me that are a little bit maybe milder in construction, but not probably less weird. And one of those deals with a, a strange ongoing thread that they just don't want to seem to let die, which makes me think it has purpose, which is for several episodes now, we realize that Jerry Horn is like seemingly trapped in the woods yes. and can't get out. We don't really know if he's high. I mean, we can assume he's high, but <laughs> we don't know if that's why he's stuck in the woods. But he's been wandering out there. And in one of the recent episodes, he goes, you can't fool me. I've been here before. And we don't know if he's been abducted. I mean, I feel like the storyline's going somewhere, though. Like, yeah. I don't think it's just happenstance. He's out there in the woods, which is well, like, it's it's the same way with like the the Jacoby scene in the first episode. Like, I, I don't think it's gonna have the same payoff to it. But like when I first saw, it, I was like, this this makes no sense. <laughs> what what is even the point of this scene? And Lynch did pay it off. So I, I feel like there is going to be some kind of payoff. I feel like this may have a bigger theory. payoff because yeah. what I think is interesting is if you think about Twin Peaks, the, the you know, it's the logging town, the spirits are in the woods. I was expecting a lot more of this show already, particularly even the first episode when we have Hawk go into the woods yeah. at, at the log lady's request. And he goes in there, and that that was kind of reinforcing, oh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of creepiness in the woods this season. And really, that's not been the case. Right. Since Hawk went out there, there haven't been a lot of characters. Want, you know, the only character that's really out in in what we seem to think of as the spirit sort of natural environment is Jerry Horn. <laughs> and the WTF moment, I guess, for us there is there's a, there's a random bit in Episode 9. It's just amidst everything else. And it is it doesn't seem that strange since we've had scenes of, like, the arm just appearing and telling uh coop to like squeeze his arm off or squeeze his hand off or whatever that there's a scene where he looks down jerry horn looks down and his foot says i am not your foot in a very weird kind of antagonistic voice and he starts fighting it like evil dead style sort of like he's on the ground banging at his foot and it's just it's very strange i'm not exactly sure what's happening there i don't think we're supposed to know precisely what's happening there I, I feel like it has something to do with the tone that's appeared in the great northern that that's the other kind of weird statement was seen where we see uh ben horn who seems to also maybe have changed a little since last we met him he seems to have a few more 
morals. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he's resisting the advances of Ashley Judd, which is not something I think he would have. I mean, you figure up at one point he was hooking up with, uh, um, with, um, Piper Laurie. Oh, yeah. So the fact that he's turning down Ashley Judd seems a little, you know, things have clearly changed some for bad. I don't know to what degree. Um, I, I'm interested to, 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 to find out if we're going to get a little bit more of him. I've been enjoying the Harry Dean Stanton little pieces here and there. Yeah, yeah. I and like they've been too. building him in a bit. Uh, so a couple things. Like, my we'll, we'll get to what I think was one of my favorite scenes. We probably close out on that, but uh, two things we do we are getting little hints. I think Big Ed's about to make his return, yeah. Because we have a reference to Big Ed's gas farm in this past episode, and it wasn't a reference; it was actually necessary. Yeah. You know, as a ge- geography is like I was over to like Big Ed's gas farm, but I think maybe that's the moment we've seen his wife Nadine, if she's still his wife, we don't know, a couple of times now. And we have there was a great kind of payoff there where we finally get yeah. to see that she did see her dream of having <laughs> uh, the silent drape runner, and she's opened a, a place called Run Silent Run Drapes. And there's like a part of me that wonders if like Lynch all the way back when he first thought up this idea of the silent drapes, if it wasn't all just an elaborate build up so he could have a joke where someone opened a store named Run Silent Run Drapes. <laughs> it's possible. It is possible. It's very possible. But I mean, little things like that are still satisfying, as small as small as they are. Um, but so the two things is, I I was kind of wondering if we'd ever see Catherine Coulson, the Log Lady, again because we know that she passed away. She was looking very frail and sick in her final yeah. scenes, uh, the scenes that we saw at the beginning of the season. And honestly, they felt like they could be a final culmination, and that would have been a good send off, you know. Uh, because she's she's alerted Hawk to this thing that's going on, but then she gets another scene in episode ten, yeah, and it's a really good one. It would have been, it'd be a perfect send off, except that then we do see her again in episode eleven, <laughs> which I was a little surprised because I was wondering, is this is this it? Um, it's funny because each time she says goodbye to Hawk, it does feel very it feels like the last final, time. yeah, like and it seems like everyone thinks it might be, but uh, she does tell him some interesting things there at the end of episode 10 where she references and, and that Laura is the one, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and she mentions this coming together of all these people. And she mentions both Truman's, she mentions Cooper and she talks about Laura being the one and coming back. And so it's this reinforcement that Laura Palmer is still important to this story in ways in which she wasn't even as important in the previous series, you know, the question was who killed her. But now the real question is what was her ultimate purpose, you know? Right. And again, like I say, it wouldn't be surprising if the return is based around Laura because, as we saw in that the episode eight, it's almost implied that maybe Laura was sent into this world to counteract the evil originally. Yeah. Uh, in whatever form, in you know, we see this gold ball who kind of comes into the world. And I don't know if she's the spectral version of the Jacoby crap gold-plated crap shovel to help dig us out of the crap hole or not but maybe that's maybe that's the comparison <laughs> but uh what's interesting is after that happens either after or before I'm not sure where Cole himself sees Laura Palmer that's right yeah which to me was a small quick moment but one of the more significant things that's happened so far uh, because it doesn't, it didn't feel like a dream the mm-hmm. way that Cooper's encounters with Laura felt like a dream in seasons one and two. 
This feels like an uh, influence from from the Red Room, from the Lodge. Yeah, yeah, or 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 like a visitation or something. You know, the way she appears isn't that so far different than the way Cooper seems to be seeing Mike and the others uh, now, or or even the way that weird creature that seems to be the doppelganger of the arm showed up the first. You know, like yeah. it's like more like a manifestation than simply a dream. So I do think we expect to see Lara again, maybe in the real world, materialize somehow. Uh, what you, what you, the past few episodes? Do you have a favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene probably out of these, and I, I don't I don't know if this is yours too, but this actually probably came from the last episode. Um, and this one takes place with the Meachums. Uh, this is with the Jim Belushi character. Um, when they meet Coop out in the desert. Yes, by far, absolutely favorite scene of that it's, episode. It's so good. It, it These characters have well. grown on me quite a bit. I I was like, why is Jim Belushi in this? I'm not a huge Jim Belushi fan. Me either. And uh, he doesn't mean anything, you know, it, it, he's long since the days of Mr. Destiny. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a joke too. But um, <laughs> this is his finest comedic work since uh, K-9. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's these characters, like, there's just something like, there's, there's something fun about them. And, and this whole scene takes place because they're supposed to kill Coop. Um, they feel like Coen brother characters too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I could totally see that. And um, just kind of how this whole scene plays out kind of feels almost Coenish. Um, but yeah, they, they meet Coop in the desert and um, Jim Belushi's character, you know, he's telling the other hitman, he's like, I had a dream about this, you know, and he's been Coop... apprehensive all day. Like we've <laughs> yeah. seen several moments of him, being antsy because he's had this dream and coop comes like holding a box which mike pretty much led him to find he's like if he has a cherry pie in there he's like we know that he's a friend and then the, you know we but he doesn't that... tell you at first that it's a cherry pie no he no says, yeah it's... if 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 what's in there is the same thing as what's in my dream and at this point it kind of almost feels like david fincher's seven or something like when he <laughs> yeah. gets out with that box what's i'm like box? Yes, but didn't that not there in the middle of the desert? He walks out with a big box, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, what is happening here?" <laughs> but just like just just the way that the scene is plotted out, and and like even beforehand, like you know that these guys are like, they're, they're murderers, obviously, and you know they're doing like insurance fraud and stuff. But you still kind of like them a little bit, and then and then when they do find out that you know everything is kind of matching up with their dream. You see that they take, they take Coop out to dinner where, you know, they, they give him more cherry pie and, and have drinks with him. And, and lo and behold, he runs into uh, kind of the crazy bag lady <laughs> that he saw many episodes ago uh, where she called him Mr. Jackpots. And you see that she's doing much better for herself at this time. Yeah, she's like doing really well. Like I don't know if that guy's her son or she's got some dude on her arm. I mean, she's yeah. like, and she stops. And she, yeah, she acknowledges what he's done for, her and she talk. And the and the the meetings, of course, they've got a check, so they're nice and happy now too. Yeah. Which is where you kind of wonder, like his boss kind of sets that up for him, and you knowing that he has a check, you're like, okay, well they're they're gonna find this. But you wonder if that's a point where you wonder was his boss setting him up or right. was he you know was he really helping him and thought hey you're gonna be okay here or again is that forrest gump thing where he just sort of makes his way through all this and the lodge is kind of looking out for him uh i don't know but i do feel that the essence of, of cooper who he is is informing some of this stuff and it's interesting to think that like uh 
the Cooper from the old show was always adamant about trying to help others and and make people's lives better. But in a lot of ways, I don't think that we ever saw signs of that really happening. You know, no. uh, a lot of what happens to many of the characters in the second season is because of Wyndham Earl, who is tied to Cooper and is tied to Cooper because of things Cooper himself has sort of done to bring Wyndham Earl down on his head. You know, um, yeah. Not not totally evil, but just pointing out that like, no matter what Cooper did, he always seemed to visit like harm and uh, destruction upon the people close to him, even if it wasn't completely through a fault of his own. So it's strange now that almost without even trying, you know, without being fully aware, he seems to be like he's just walking around saving people's lives, <laughs> yeah. like in a significant way, not simply I pulled you out of danger way, but he seems to be improving the lives of these people around him almost almost just by his uh his basic character the pieces that are left yeah and so you it's know, interesting to see that kind of build it, it the one thing like i i've been reading you know every once in a while after after the show's ending I, i'll go online and see what people are saying about it and i've seen a lot of people you know a lot of said that this last episode has been their favorite of the series so far of the return. Um, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that because I've really pretty much loved every single episode, you know, in its own way. Eight's probably going to always stand out for me. You know, it's as just a so strange. Even if it's yeah. not the best, it's going to be unlike anything we've seen. Yeah. But the, the one thing that really does shock me though, is that I, I see a lot of people who don't like, this the return of twin peaks and and i feel like a lot of like i don't i don't feel like there's a ton of new people coming to this show i feel like it's kind of got a you know built-in fan base and i feel like those are the people who are coming back to this but i i I think like i i don't understand where the people are coming from who liked twin peaks and are not enjoying this return like i don't know if they're just not really lynch fans at all because i feel like if you're a lynch fan like this is gonna be like the most amazing thing that Lynch could have done for you for this show. Like, are you seeing any like kind of backlash to that? I think where you're seeing it is maybe people who liked twin peaks when it came out. And there are some of these people that like loved it, love X files, things like that, but maybe aren't as aware of other things Lynch has done. Mm. And I will say, if you were someone that was fond of twin peaks, that liked twin peaks, liked it for being a weird show and you think of it for whatever reason in the same vein as X-Files, Supernatural, and stuff like that, then, yeah, you probably are a little bit bewildered. <laughs> but, I mean, if you understand the context of it with Lynch's other work, I don't think you you can be that bewildered. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, if, if you haven't seen any of this and you're trying to get a handle on whether you'll like it, the best pre- cursor to all of this stuff is probably less twin peaks the movie or the thing lynch has done that is this is closest to right now i would say is mulholland drive yeah definitely um i mean you could say twin peaks firewalk me but firewalk me is very obtuse very strange and very cold i feel like mulholland drive is a lot warmer a lot funnier a lot um more elliptical which is sort of what this is yeah and so i'd say if you really want to know if you're going to like this try mulholland drive yeah, but I, I feel like I feel like if 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 you are on if you are a Lynch fan and like and you will go with him, like I feel like you're going to get so much out of the show. If oh you yeah, I don't yet, I don't see like, how you won't like this if you really. This is Chris was asking me on day. Says, do you think this is like his like masterwork? And it's like it might be. I mean, it, it, in terms of like the you know 
his most concentrated thing that most closely resembles maybe what he's always been trying to do. Yeah. This might be it. Um, but yeah, I, I loved some, also there was a warmth to this last episode kind of warmth that in some ways we haven't even seen from Lynch since the days of stuff like, uh, in in some of his movies that are probably least known for being supernatural stuff like the elephant man and, uh, and honestly the straight story. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's a sum of that, like, that scene of them having dinner with him where they legitimately are, you know, it doesn't seem like they're getting one over on him. They're genuinely happy to kind of, like, have made a friend of him. <laughs> yeah. And this scene when Belushi pulls out the check and looks at it and his legs bow a little bit, like he's about to pass out, like, almost like, uh, you know, Alan Grant in Jurassic Park after he sees <laughs> yeah. the T-Rex like but it's 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 subtler than that and it's like it's so it's such a great little piece of comedy it's like by far the funniest thing Belushi's done in like years just you yeah. know it's like it's like Lynch knows exactly how to use him here and he's good oh, you like him like you want to see some more of him I don't want these guys to be gone yet and no. I don't not that they will be and in his there's a certain scene too where you mentioned Coop eats the pie and you're like is this the moment he's going to come back in, in the sense of being the Coop that we knew and well, while that's happening, they kind of have Candy doing her weird thing where she's just irritating everyone to no end. <laughs> and, and Belushi does a face there that's just, you know, they almost pan from Coop to him. And he's got this, like, he looks like he's about to throw up on himself. <laughs> and uh, it's really fun. I mean, I don't can't think of any other show where you watch something like this and you're you're laughing and horrified the next moment. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. befuddled. And, and like, it, I mean, it really does have just about everything you could want. The yeah. only thing is it doesn't always have the coherence of, 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 of being wrapped up. But I think it's telling a strong story. Yeah. Uh, any, we should wrap up here. Any predictions or anything you would, you think you'd like to, I mean, it's, it's, these things are probably irrelevant in some ways. <laughs> I will mention the next episode is called Let's Rock. So I don't know if we're going to be seeing more of the arm or not. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. Like, that's one thing I do. Um, I do want to get some more time in the Black Lodge. You know, just like, I'm sure there's going to be something, but it's very hard to tell, like, where this is exactly going to go. But I definitely, I'm interested, especially now, to to know, like, that there's going to be some kind of confrontation um, with, like, Hawk and Bobby. Um, You know, they were, like, looking at maps and and Truman as well, too. Like, they're going somewhere, and and something is going to happen at that point. I feel like Where you're going, there's fire. (laughs) Yeah. Which is what I would probably say to... uh... Richard Horn at this point, <laughs> yeah. um, but and that's that's one of the possibly the last thing the Log Lady really tells. Yeah, Hawk is where you're going. There's fire, and the, the kind of prepping them for that. Uh, so one last thing I want to mention: about the, the the crazy moments. There, I don't know. If this is a prediction. It's a weird. It's just a weird observance that I'll make. Uh, there's a, a bit at episode, maybe the end of episode nine or episode ten that was. To me, of all the things that Lynch has done, it's probably the grossest, and I don't even know why <laughs> yeah. I think that. But there are two two girls there at the the bar there, and they are talking, and they're talking seemingly in code because they mentioned the, something that the zebra's done, and <laughs> oh, the penguins up to this or something like that. And it seems like they're speaking in code. I don't know what they're talking about. And uh, one of them there is played by a, a, someone I didn't recognize at first, Sky Ferreira, who is a is a singer. And I saw first back in 2010, I think, in Putty Hill, a movie that uh, they did here in Baltimore. And I was, I was looking at her, I was like, yeah, she looks familiar. But Lynch keeps kind of drawing attention to this really gross rash she has under her arm. Now, she and her friend both kind of look kind of grungy. 
and just not well kept. <laughs> no. And so it's kind of just one more strange, weird, creepy hygiene thing to have her scratching this big, expanding, like, rash under her arm. And it's you really don't even, disturbing. It is gross. It's it's gross. You draw attention to it. It's It's a little weird to me, too, that we've had now... We've had the kind of interdimensional hobos, which when they we see them in episode eight, they almost look like Ramiro-style zombies. Yeah. Um, kind of wandering out of the fog. And then we have this rash. And I'm not, I'm not really making this conspiracy theory, but it's just a weird observation. Because I don't yeah. think Lynch does things completely arbitrary. They may never make sense to us, but you've got her scratching the rash. And then you have this girl vomiting. Uh looking like patient zero coming up out of the bottom of the car there. And maybe these things don't make any sense. I mean, it's like the man behind the winky. So, you know, what the heck does he actually represent or mean? He's not a lead up to anything else, but it's like, is Lynch like setting up some kind of contagion (laughs) drama? Like, I mean, there, there are a few references here or there where you wonder, uh, but Lynch, the stakes usually don't ever get that big. But it, it's definitely odd, I think, yeah. that you've had a couple things that, to me, are are reflective of what normally we would say. If we saw this in any other movie, we'd say they're setting up a contagion narrative. Yeah, yeah. It it just it it makes sense in that way because I don't I don't know why he would have just these two completely like random scenes with some kind of like ailments like that if it's not going to be setting up for it. And I've looked so far, I don't know how true this is, but it appears that she only appears in that one episode, at least is what IMDb is telling me, <laughs> is that Skyfur is in just that one episode, so we probably might not see her again. So maybe, you know, it's quite possible that she had a rash the day that he filmed and was like, that's gross. Keep picking at it. And that's it. He put a call out on like Craigslist. Anybody with weird rashes. Ooh, I need to need the biggest and best rashes. Please show up. Um, gross. Yeah. I don't know what else we can say at this point. Yeah. We should probably end it now. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next episodes. We'll be back to discuss. I'm, uh, I'm I'm into it. Like I and I think the thing that's different these three episodes in the thing that is different is that I am enjoying even more the character work and I am really enjoying a lot of the new characters. I think that's yeah. I think that's the most surprising thing about this. We all yeah. probably came back to this for the old characters. It's the reason I tuned back into something like the X-Files and yet I think what's really fascinating here because in a, in some ways Cooper is a brand new character. Yeah, and how they've definitely. been handling him is that the new characters are the ones that I've really been connecting to. I'm enjoying some of the old characters and the friendly faces, but the new characters are selling the show for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, and 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 he does a great job of making some of these characters be surprising. So, and after all this time, it doesn't feel false. It feels it feels like a, a part of the world. You know what I mean? No, and and like I've said, I honestly think at the end of the day, when this thing is over, I think it's quite likely. Uh, now, I had the benefit of not going back and watching Twin Peaks immediately before this. So, you know, whatever. It, and, but to be fair, I only saw Twin Peaks for the first time back in like 2011 or 2012. So I didn't see it growing up. I saw an episode or two on television. So it, it not for ancient memories, but I haven't watched it where it's so fresh in my mind that I remember every little bit. But yeah. I 
do think there's a good chance that Twin Peaks The Return might end up it will end up being a stronger piece of work than the original. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that already. I don't think I don't think you can say with many other reboots or returns to things, no, particularly like a TV that's... show. <laughs> it's so much better than the X Files Return. Yeah, yeah, or Fuller House. <laughs> yeah, X Files: The Return is really really disappointing. <laughs> um, I know it's coming back. I really just give that to David Lynch too. Yeah. Him. Let's do a crossover where Gordon Cole. I, I like to imagine in my head that Gordon Cole's office is right down the the <laughs> hall from like Skinner's office. I want to <laughs> see him just walk really out cool. and like Skinner be like, "Keep it down in here," and like bang on the wall or something. That's great. Yeah, that would be a worthy crossover. <laughs> Albert Cole and Tammy of the Lone Gunman. Yes. Yes. Exactly. They, like, bump into the Winchester brothers on their way into, like, a bar. <laughs> we'll just put them all together. Just, just as many people as you can. Buffy Summers <laughs> is sitting in the back of the, of the, uh, what's their, what's their bar? The, um. Oh, I can't remember. I know. It's so much, so much stuff. Oh. Uh, but, uh, Seth and I came back. Because we didn't get, uh, by the time we had finished this episode, the next episode of Twin Peaks was airing. And after watching it, we had some things we wanted to talk about very briefly. So we're going to include the episode, what is this, episode 12? Episode 11? Yeah, episode 12. Yes, okay. So we're going to include episode 12 in this. So episode 12 is, I guess if this has a title, like the others have a title... Uh, like this is the chair. This one is Let's Rock, which immediately hearing it, you're thinking or your your mind is going back to the man from another place sitting there putting his fingers up in the air and, you know, all that good stuff. And it's very different, I think, than the other episodes in some way. It's probably yeah. notable because there's almost no, I don't want to say none, but there's almost no Cobb mclaughlin at all. <laughs> in fact, I think the scene we have is just so someone can say later, Kyle McLaughlin was in every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, what'd you think about this? Well, uh, according to a lot of people, you could probably title this episode Soft Rock instead of Let's Rock because uh, not a lot really happens in this episode. Now, we, we've kind of joked about that before where we've seen a scene of somebody sweeping for five minutes or so, but this episode really feels like some kind of, like almost like an intermission piece, really. Like you could kind of phase in and out of this episode and you're not going to really miss much. Now, it, it's funny because we, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but there, there are many things that happened during this episode, but none of them really feel like consequential to it at all. It's just kind of like little, almost like vignettes or something. Like, like you'd mentioned the, the Cooper scene uh, lasts probably 10 seconds. It's all of just Sonny Jim throwing a baseball and hitting him in the head. And then that's the end of what you see of Cooper for that entire episode. It's, this was a really, just a weird one. Like I didn't really know how to take it. I still kind of don't know how to feel about this episode. I, I don't dislike it, but I'm also like, this is probably my least favorite episode so far uh, during the return. Um, we really start off the episode with a, a good scene. I really like this opening scene with um, 
It's Gordon, Albert, Tammy, and Diane. And uh, Gordon's filling in Tammy about the Blue Rose project. And he's kind of finally recruiting her, bringing on, her on board. And I think they're also talking about deputizing uh, Diane. And uh, then we do see, like, I, I think that actually happens later. But this this opening scene is just kind of, it's kind of cool. I, I like the dialogue between them. Um I was telling Nathan before, I would kind of almost watch an extra show that was just dedicated to, you know, the uh, continuing adventures of Gordon and Albert, just because I like those characters a lot. I like them always in the original series, but I I really love what Lynch is doing with them in in the return here. So, uh, Nathan, what were your first impressions of this episode? The same thing, as far as that opening scene goes, the same as you said, I thought it opened very strongly. And even though... That's one of the things Lynch very rarely ever does is we tell you. He never rarely, rarely, rarely ever tells you something instead of just showing it to you, you know, with an explanation. So when Albert starts to explain, now as it turns out, Albert doesn't really explain all that much. Uh, he doesn't tell us anything we don't already know. And uh, except he does sort of reveal to Tammy that they've been watching her since high school, which in Gordon's yeah. seems really, really creepy. <laughs> yeah. But so now we kind of see why maybe uh, Denise had so many reservations there about sending her off with him. But yeah. I almost expected, half expected, speaking of Denise, that you would hear the X-Files music start up right after. Yeah. You know, I know we've already seen the Twin Peaks intro, but the way Albert says that and he's like, are you in? I just that was a perfect place to just cut to the X-Files intro. And I kind of agree. Yeah. I would totally watch an Albert and Cole show. And in this episode, in some ways, is almost the Albert and Cole show. But, in fact, I would just call it the Albert and Cole show. Uh, yeah. One of the things is we've been – we talked a little bit about you and I, like, offline here, that – the response to the show, as we see, like on the Facebook page and stuff like that, I think you're seeing the difference between people who are hardcore David Lynch fans, who seem to be mostly, you know, rolling with the show, if you will. Yeah. And then you see these people that are fans of Twin Peaks, the show, and the characters who were invested back in the day in whether or not Dale Cooper was going to hook up with Audrey Horn and things like right. that, that were, to me, rather incidental to the whole experience. Uh, we, these are fair feelings, I think. But these people comment constantly, why are we watching Gordon Cole and Albert? And I will admit, as a Twin Peaks fan, I didn't know that what I wanted to see was more Gordon Cole and Albert, at least to the degree that we have them, where they're they're having a whole storyline set apart. Uh, when they finally show back up in the story in this show and they're going to meet with Cooper, I'm like, oh, it would be interesting to see a little more of them. I had no idea it would be to the extent that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people, like you'd said, there's a lot of the original series that's very, very melodramatic, which we talked about before. And that's pretty much gone completely from the return. There's there's bits and pieces of it here and there, like Bobby seeing the picture of Laura Palmer for the first time. But for the most part, that stuff is gone. It's a lot more dark. It's definitely more in line with Firewalk with me than the series was at all. And I think I, I think you're completely right. You know, it's it's either Twin Peaks fans or it's David Lynch fans. There's not really a lot in between. I feel like if you haven't seen anything else that David Lynch has done between Twin Peaks or other than Twin Peaks, like I, I can get why people don't like this series. And like you said, you know, I was definitely expecting like I'm am I gonna I'm gonna spend a bunch of time with Cooper. I'm gonna be spending you know time more in the town than we do. But 
from what I'm, I've gotten out of this return, like I, I love it so much that I'm not, I don't feel like I've been cheated out of what I expected. And, and it's really kind of crazy to just go into any kind of Lynch thing with any kind of real expectation about what's going to happen because he's going to subvert it at any turn. And I think there's a, a particular scene in this episode itself that's pretty much Lynch telling people, oh yeah, hey, you think I'm going to do what you want me to do? Well, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we can talk that, about that here momentarily. Go cry on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now that being said, and I agree. And and so one thing is, at the end of this, before we kind of close out, I, I, I posed a question to you and kind of to myself, which is some of these people are already declaring, hey, I'm not satisfied with this. And I guess the question to you and I is, what would it take? Because I think there are things that Lynch certainly could do at this point. And I think watching this episode is a good reminder that it is possible that, you know, it is – I think Lynch can do things here that are going to leave me – potentially leave me unsatisfied with the show as a whole. Now, yeah. there's a couple things we don't know. We None of us really know whether there's going to be another season or not. Lynch himself may not be fully aware of that. You and I tend to have the feeling uh, that he's probably going to wrap it up, and I hope that he does, at least in a potential way, You know that we aren't left with a cliffhanger the way the, the, the second season ended, and we're not left with a cliffhanger, something like The X-Files, where it's like, hey, I got another season, and I'm just going to leave you in the wind again. Now, yeah. But I mention that because I think it's a valid point for people to be kind of uh, disenfranchised so to speak with something yeah. when they it it doesn't seem to be fulfilling what they not what they want from the characters but what basically would be the upward trajectory of the characters that they fell in love with i think right. that can be legitimate i felt that way when lost eventually started to kind of circle uh the cosmic drain if you will and <laughs> i felt that way with the x-files particularly how chris Carter keeps coming back and he has another opportunity to wrap something up that he should have wrapped up in his nine seasons, but he didn't manage to. And every time he gets a new chance, he seems to just establish further and further that he doesn't really understand or has lost sight of what his show was originally about. Right. I think, though, that's different. We've said this before. I think Lynch is just trying to tell us through this that this is what my show is really about. You know, yeah. Twin Peaks The Return isn't the original Twin Peaks, and this is. This is what it's about, and it isn't. Uh, it's a little more prosaic. It's a little more elegiac. It's a little. It's a lot of these things uh, that have very little to do with fulfilling some soap opery week to week sort of expectation. Yeah, uh, think that's fair. That being said, I do think that one uh, that episode shouldn't just get a pass. Say, oh well, it's David Lynch. He's going to do what he wants to do, <laughs> right? Uh, because my issue with this episode is kind of twofold one is it really does feel uh almost like not that the see i think there's a lot of very good very vital scenes in here but it feels like when you watch like the uh, twin peaks the lost tapes or whatever they call that where they've got the lost you know oh yeah um, the missing pieces scenes there's scenes the, the missing pieces thank you uh and they're all of this material that is interesting is in some ways kind of can be fundamental if you're some peaks enthusiasts you need to fix every and, and put in every single uh piece to to make it fit then yes you might need these they were enriching to me in the overall series but they definitely do kind of slow things down a little bit though my bigger issue with the episode is that lynch is kind of finally like he's always been coy about it but he almost seems to be actively sort of teasing us in this episode. Yeah. It seems to be teasing anybody who is kind of their patience is running thin here. 
<laughs> and I, I feel like for all the people, you know, it's if you're a Republican who voted Trump and you got to watch him continue to like seems like he's tweeting directly at you to say hey look what i'm gonna do next that's like this equivalent this is like the equivalent of david lynch trolling someone on twitter is what he seems to be doing here because uh there's lots of scenes like all through this there's a scene where albert comes in and cole is with a with an escort i'm not sure where he found it he's like and albert just says in a non-plus way you're gonna have to ask your lady friend to go downstairs and and watching her get up and move away is like it takes forever and i can't tell if she's trying to send yeah you know, it reminds me of the beginning of fire walk with me where he has like a mind come out of yeah. like the the uh hanger there and he's referenced a lot of those characters are in fire walk with me already so i'm like I don't know. Is this she, her leg goes up in the air at one point, and Albert just stand there stone faced? Uh, but then that leads into a scene which I got a lot of enjoyment out of, where you know he makes the joke about the turnip farm. Uh, he'll yeah. turn up eventually, yeah. and then Albert just <laughs> stares at him more and says, "You know, sometimes I worry about you, Albert." <laughs> I found both kind of bittersweet because Miguel Ferrer is no longer with us, and also yeah. just ridiculous the the general. <laughs> scene there i found a lot of value in that scene as a scene but it's he's also just in kind of teasing us to me the strongest scenes in the episode are the stuff involving sarah palmer who we haven't seen yeah. in a while and who who actually looks kind of so rough it took me a minute to figure out who i was looking at freak out about jerky in the in the grocery yeah. aisle uh, and then i'm still trying to figure out what's the sound there's a reference that you know uh, Deb, uh, Hawk is like, what's that sound? And she's like, oh, it's nothing. I'm like, do you have one of the grocery store kids tied up in your kitchen? <laughs> yeah. What's going on there? I can't. Uh, or are intergalactic hobos wandering around? Yeah. Uh, what? Which she kind of looks almost looks like one. She at this snarls point. a few times when it. I almost like was expecting. Like it almost sounds like a demon voice coming out of her a few times, where it's very <laughs> creepy. And I was expecting her to be like. Uh, Hello, Johnny. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the uh, like I, I I was glad to see her again. I didn't. I, I honestly didn't think we would see her again. We we saw her for maybe like a two minute scene, like really early on, and then she's just kind of been absent from it. So I don't know if she's gonna even play much of a part left in this show. I kind of I feel like she kind of has to, as much as they are. They've made a deal about. They're still talking about Laura Palmer, so I feel like we're going to see her again. I feel like we, we're probably going to see, um, uh, what is it, Cheryl Lee again. Um, but I think the biggest the biggest thing of this episode that we have to talk about, and I think it's probably everybody else's biggest problem with this episode, is the return of Audrey Horn. So we've been waiting and waiting. We're now 12 episodes in. We finally get a scene with Audrey Horn. And I really don't understand what the point of that entire scene was other than possibly like Lynch just playing with us. I mean, that, that scene literally lasts 10 minutes long about talking with characters that you've either never heard of before, never met before. And a long point of it is just a man talking on a telephone. <laughs> In a very frustrating way. He's definitely playing yeah. with you. The whole thing has a feel of like a weird stage play. I, I would almost expect it like... I could see if, like, this was the teaser. It, it strikes me that Lynch would release this as the teaser for Twi Twin Peaks The Return. Right. But then specifically no one would ever watch it. Now, that's <laughs> yeah. to be fair. I, I think he's doing something here. I'm just not quite – it is not satisfying in any kind of conventional sense. This is not satisfying at all. 
unless no. you are enjoying the fact that Lynch is just messing with people, which is kind of where I was coming from. Like by the time the scene started, <laughs> I just started laughing because of just how the whole thing is set because boom, suddenly she's there. He's making no efforts. He's he he like she's about as effective as Candy Clark coming in to scream at Robert Forrester <laughs> earlier in the season. Like she's just there. She's shrill. She's kind of very frigid and catty. She doesn't really resemble. You can see how the Audrey we used to know would get to this point, which I think yeah. is interesting because we are used to wanting to bring characters back and try to maintain the illusion that they are the same people that we used to know. And in some cases, Lynch has done this. I just mean, like Coop. Just, well, Coop, yeah, Coop is nothing. I mean, Coop's like a shell. Uh, but a yeah. better example would be Lynch seems to be doing this with everyone in the police station. Bobby's yeah. gotten better, but like Hawk seems pretty much the same. I mean, Kimmy, Kimmy Robertson's character uh, yeah. is Lucy. Lucy yeah. is almost identically like she's not changed at all. And I was feeling that in the beginning, like, oh man, everyone's going to be exactly the way they were. Yeah. It's not really what I personally want. I want to see more characters develop. So it's conceivable that the Audrey that we used to know could have become this person particularly if some of the things we assume or I have assumed have happened to her that I'm still unclear about. One of those being, I think it's been proven that Richard is indeed her son, uh, Richard yeah. Horn. Uh, unless Ben, unless Ben's son <laughs> took a break from Teddy to go have a child somewhere, <laughs> this is probably Audrey's <laughs> son. And I believe it's quite likely, it's probably uh, is the case that he is Dark Cooper's son. Uh, as a yeah. result of of Dark Cooper raping her, most likely while she was either uh, unconscious or became conscious, he goes. The last time anyone saw him, Cooper, before the recent events, was walking out of Audrey Horn's hospital room. Right. So that does not bode well. And now we've got Richard, who seems like he could definitely be the progeny of something <laughs> evil. Uh, that. This could have broken her, and and this is what we're seeing is the results of all these years later. It isn't satisfying. I don't think it's supposed to be satisfying. It's supposed to be messing no. with our expectations. Who is that actor that played her husband? Because, I, I mean, I don't oh, want to get know. into kind of picking at him because he's clearly <laughs> – he has an odd sort of look. He's kind of a short guy. He's very – I've seen him in like – commercials and stuff i saw he was in a couple of commercials where with jeff colbloom who was trying to sell like uh lights or something for home depot i don't remember i'm not exactly sure you might know what i'm talking about it's ridiculous but, uh i see him pop up every once in a while he's a very odd looking guy lynch has clearly got him in here because he's an odd looking guy yeah he doesn't i was look afraid like of the kind of person that would be what's that i was afraid at first he was going to be the guy from the uh human centipede too <laughs> right there's nothing that creepy i've seen this actor before um he's usually in small little roles in, in movies that you've probably seen but the scene plays out very strangely it's implied that you're know, looking for this billy who's a character who's been mentioned a few times now but i still don't really know who he is i have an idea no. that maybe i saw uh andy talk to him about a truck maybe in one episode but i'm not <laughs> i can't be confident about that uh and i'm not sure i'll go back to check and, but she wants to look for him, but she's ba he's basically her, like, ex-lover. And yeah. the guy in front of her is apparently her husband, although it doesn't seem like it was a conventional marriage. More like some sort of arrangement, which may make sense if Audrey wakes up out of a coma pregnant. 
Uh, right. And I don't know to what degree, but it's also bizarre because he comes up with all these weird excuses for not wanting to go out to help her look for him. And he's like, at one point, he's like, oh, I'm sleepy. Or I've got, and she's like, well, how would you like it if you were lost and someone had to finish their homework before they could go out? And she's just berating him endlessly. So he finally makes a call to Tina, whoever Tina is. And I don't know, but I assume that Tina, what Tina is telling him might have to do with Richard. Yeah. Uh, and what Richard's done. But you hear him say, oh, horrible. I, I can't believe it. And all these things. And meanwhile, you have Audrey making these hilarious faces like, come on, hurry up. Just get on with it, which I assume is what everyone's doing at home watching Twin Peaks. And Lynch knows this. I mean, Lynch has made references. The whole half of this show has been him sort of just mocking the fact that you've actually probably paid for Showtime just to watch this show. I think it's right. in a good-natured way. I think he's – I don't yeah. think he's really making fun of us. Uh, he's trying. He's doing what Lynch does, and I don't hate the scene. I like some of that interaction she has, but it's a subversion of expectations. And then he gets off the phone and he's like, "I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> she's she's like, "You're not going to tell me," and he just stares at her. End of scene. <laughs> the whole episode is filled with stuff like this. Uh, one of the problems I think that's not working about this particular episode and we can close up here in a moment, is something that that Lynch constantly tries to build intrigue about characters we don't know. He doesn't do this just in Twin Peaks. He does it all over the place. Sometimes yeah. it works. Like the guy who wants to talk about the man outside the Winkies. Like, right, yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. That scene doesn't necessarily have anything to do, unless you watch Mulholland Drive closely, and you take it at some level that it's all happening in the subconscious of a character. That's right. sort of outside our discussion here, but... He does make you care and be interested in what these characters are doing in that moment, and they only appear in that one scene. Yeah. Uh, he, he does make us care about some of the characters, like the Belushi character and whatnot, in a relatively short amount of time. He can yeah. do that. But what he does here is he wants us to care about characters we haven't even met or that we know have seen yet. And I think that's a different I, that's a different thing he's trying to do, and I don't think it's really that effective. No. Uh, he's been doing it all season long particularly with the little vignettes that happen at the end in the roadhouse. And there's yeah. another one here that is just means nothing to me because yeah. I don't know any of the people they're talking about. <laughs> it might it might be intended to just be a vignette that's supposed to kind of flesh the town out a little bit, but it doesn't do a lot for me. It doesn't get me invested. I remember the Winky scene. I will not remember many of these scenes. I no. will probably only remember the Audrey scene if it, A, is connected to something later, or just remembered as being that weird introduction that Audrey had. Uh, I think a good comparison point, though, is it's not as if Lynch is completely off here, because he has a lot of great little scenes. We mentioned the Sarah Palmer scenes. Yeah. Uh, there's a great scene with Carl, with the Harry Dean Stanton character, where he's just talking yeah. to a guy at the uh, trailer park where he lives, and there's a lot of compassion and whatnot in the scene. I thought that scene alone was better than the whole Audrey scene, which goes on. Yeah, I, I, I did too. Even Coop standing there and Sonny Jim hitting him with the ball. That's got to be the shortest scene in the entire Twin Peaks show. Probably. Uh, at least the new one. Uh, and, it, you know, I expect him to get hit with the ball, and then suddenly he'd be like, I'm back. But, uh, <laughs> like, something that ridiculous. But it's a nice, quick scene. I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean... But it does – you do see – even for people who are saying, well, I'm tired of Dougie Jones, you see the hole that's left when McLaughlin, particularly the Dougie Jones character or Coop, the slowly recovering Coop, is on screen, uh, that there is a hole left by the yeah. show, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I, and I do wonder if that's like – that was – an intentional move on his part. I just, I don't know, but like you said, I, I, I definitely agree. Like 
with like the side characters who we'll probably never see or hear from again. Um, They're not working uh, for me personally. I no. like he has introduced many characters that I didn't think I would come to like that I yeah. do like now. He had, yeah. There's many of those characters in the show. Janie's a perfect example. There's, right. I mean, I really like some of his new characters, but we have to at least meet them. We have to at least yeah. see them, I think. I can't be concerned about Billy if I have no idea at all who <laughs> Billy is. Yeah. And that maybe is part of his point, but I, I don't know. To that end, the absolute to me, I, again, I really like the Sarah Palmer stuff. The stuff that I like the best about this episode was the actual another horn, not and not Jerry Horn running out of the woods, though I did like that scene. Is it, were his yeah. hands covered in blood? I think so. Yeah, that's a bad sign. Uh, <laughs> I think I know what happened to Billy. Um, but and, and let's talk about one more thing first before I, I talk about this scene. What about the Jacoby scene, which is a literally seems to be just. <laughs> I, I, he's repeating. This is what I mean by him messing with us. He's literally yeah. repeating the same footage from the from the first time we see Jacoby in the in the tra- in the uh, trailer doing his little radio station gig. Which I'm yeah, s- I, I I thought I I thought like I did something wrong or like like I might have switched over to <laughs> yeah, another am episode. I having a I was seizure. Like, this feels really familiar right now. <laughs> I think there's a few pieces that are different, but it's essentially the same material. I'm almost positive of it. Yeah. And um, again, I think Lynch is counting on us not being too lazy to go back and look at it, which is he's <laughs> probably right. Uh, or he's particularly messing with us. I was, I'm half expecting at some point for the, the, uh, woodsman to come in and take over his radio station or at least try, you know, when he turn around and be like, do you have a light? And then he'll yeah. yell at him about how these sticks can cause cancer. And, you know, at that point, I think it'll be, they'll try to crush his head and he'll like decapitate one of them with, uh, his gold with a golden shovel. shovel. That'll be more where we realize that gold shovel, shovels are to woodsmen what dragon glass is to white yeah. walkers. There's a key sorry, to this sure entire just, season. Yes, exactly. They're gonna, he's going to arm the entire town with gold shovels and it's going to be a big battle. When he throws the shovel to Coop, he'll be like, dig yeah. yourself out of the crap and all his members will come flooding back. I think we can all uh, be concerned. It's gonna, or we can all be assured it's going to be far more disappointing than whatever I just said. Yeah, probably. But but Ben Horn, the scene between Ben Horn and uh, Frank Truman, I really liked a lot. Yeah, and, me too. And, and I guess it's it goes beyond just Frank Truman because once he leaves, and it's the way that the key gets back into Frank's hands now, the key that was to Dale Cooper's room. So we yeah. watched that key travel all season. But it, I think it speaks to a couple things. So we see here's a character that does seem to have legitimately changed. He yeah. seemed on the brink of change the very last time we saw him in Twin Peaks Season 2. We've been watching him, observing him, and wondering. He's still They still do enough to show him he's still the same central character. He still likes to sit there and talk about things his dad did for him back in the day <laughs> and be all nostalgic in a weird kind of disconnected way but he seems like he's legitimately trying to be a better man or has become a better man and i was uncertain about that but the way they handle it i think makes for a really good scene there's a lot of satisfaction i think in that scene to me yeah it was it was actually kind of sweet in a way even you know besides the actual conversation of what they were talking about like there was there was some like nostalgic feeling to that scene like you could you could tell there was like caring between those two characters and i I like seeing that kind of like humanity when when lynch brings that in there yeah he does it nice and he still ends on a weird little lynch note where he's like yeah (laughs) 
my father gave that to me. And it's just like, and <laughs> you remember, this is the guy that waged an entire battle, a little Civil War man and everything. <laughs> That's but, right. I mean, he's really, uh, that was, he was a good character. He still is a yeah. good character. And I'm interested in him. I feel like they found a way to make him interesting, even though he might, you know, he might not be as salacious as he used to be. Uh, he did a lot of crazy stuff. I said there, I had to remember in my mind, wait, this is the same Ben Horn. You know, he be, I think he almost entered a room where his daughter was a prostitute. Like he ended up yeah. one room. I mean, <laughs> things got dicey there for a while with, with Ben. So, uh, but it's interesting to see that he, that they do have characters like he and Bobby who do seem to have redeemed themselves. Yeah, in, in definitely. And I and I I think Lynch does find a way to make that interesting. Not everyone can make the good guy interesting. And I think we yeah. saw with Coop that he's he can do that. <laughs> so it is an episode that's just all over the place. I mean, yeah. but for all the people to complain, hey, we're watching this one thing happen and we want to see more Twin Peaks. This was more Twin Peaks. I yeah. mean, it was. <laughs> You got what you wanted. Are you happy now? <laughs> well, that's almost like kind of, but, but it was just all piled together, jumbled together. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think what it really speaks to is there's an anxiety because we're down to what like five to six episodes it's, left. Yeah, six episodes and left. Yeah. I mean, there's some characters we still haven't seen yet. We don't know how. I mean, at this point, Big Ed's just going to wave from we'll run outside <laughs> yeah. and say, "You forgot to pay for gas at Big Ed's gas farm," <laughs> and that's going to be his scene. Uh, I don't know how we're going to get that much more in. There's so much more to cover. And now Lynch could turn around next episode and he could tie it all together. Or he could give us another episode like episode eight. Yeah. And just watch the cosmos come together. <laughs> so uh, crazy stuff. Uh, but I, to me, it's still interesting. And to answer the yeah. question we asked a little earlier, which was what will this need to do to be satisfying, is I do think he's going to have to wrap up the story he started to tell, which is the return of Cooper. We're going to, yeah, it isn't going to be enough for him to just end with a shot of Cooper still stuck completely in his Dougie shell. That's not <laughs> going to cut it for me. It just isn't no. like everything. Everyone's got their line. That's going to be my line. Like they are also, they're going to have to deal with the dark Coop story. I don't mind if he's not fully back to the agent Cooper. We knew, I don't know that that would necessarily be in the cards anyway, but yeah. I think he needs to wrap the – he needs to bring the story to a conclusion. Uh, if that's yeah. all of them being killed, whatever. But uh, to me, it's going to be satisfying if he completes the story he started to tell. That's important, completes the story. Now, if it becomes clear that he's got another season in him, uh, that he's going to have the time, that's fine. But I think he can reach a conclusion. It doesn't have to perfectly wrap up everything. But he can conclude to a certain degree – this, this story, the same way that they were able to conclude the Laura Palmer story till he opened it all back up again. But, I mean, he's got Laura on the table now. He's got Cooper on the table. These things are still sitting on the table in an unanswered format. Uh, that's not going to be satisfying to me. Pretty much yeah. outside of that, I don't – him changing the characters and doing things with the characters, I don't mind. But if he spends this much time playing tricks and then doesn't give us anything to hang on to, I will be disappointed. Yeah, definitely. And if it does end with them all being in purgatory, I'm going to be really pissed off. I don't – I'd like to say I don't think he'd do that. but <laughs> No, I, yeah, I don't think he would do that he, either. He had a movie end with a, with someone's parents, miniature parents, crawling out of a bag and <laughs> right. climbing up and like attacking them. So, I mean, who knows what he'll do. It's anybody st Still a more satisfying ending than Lost. Yeah, very true, very true. All right, everyone. <laughs> have a great evening and take care.